How do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. It's a very, very special honor. I'm Paula Creamer, and you're listening. Well, we're waiting. Hi, this is Martin Cove, a.k.a. John Kreese from Cobra Kai, and you're listening to Golf Talk Live. Let the word go out from here across the land. Let Daddy Noonan uh, approve. Hey, this is Shooter McGavin. You're listening to the 19th Hole Podcast. Greetings, fans of golf. Alan DePew here once again, Golf Talk Live, our 19th Hole Podcast. I am joined by my panel, albeit, again, our panel's a little light. We're playing in threesomes again. We have uh, Mr. Little Linksters and noted golf author brendan elliott hello and mr andy Hydorn, the living legend and a fan of brooklyn bagels back in the swing <laughs> boys lots on the lots on the plate today and concluding with major sh- uh, show announcement at the very end exciting mm-hmm so uh, let's jump right to it. Uh, where do you want to go to first, boys? Let's, th- this one caught my eye. Andy, I know you're passionate about it, and we're going to dive deep a little bit into it before we talk about the PGA Tour and, and some of the things going on there. Let's start with this one. Mind-blown emoji, okay? First thing I saw on, Insta- on uh, I think it was Instagram or Twitter or one of them the other day. USGA local qualifier, name escapes me, uh, believe from Auburn, kid goes out and fires 62 in the local and promptly gets gets off the golf course, basking in the fact that he is moving on to sectionals, only to dis- learn and quickly DQ himself, disqualification. And why, Mr. Hydehorn? Well, look, I'm normally a big supporter of the rules of golf. I'm always battling people on TikTok who think that the rules are stupid. And generally speaking, they're not. They're well thought out. But in this this case, (laughs) this case, to me, it's stupid. So what happened was, you know, where's my stupid button sound effect? (laughs) Bang the stupid button. Um, You know, the the. The kid played a great round of golf and and uh, went home and somehow came to the realization that fixing aeration holes on the putting green is not legal and therefore disqualified himself. Um, kudos, to my, kudos to the kid for disqualifying himself. Yeah. Yes, for yeah. sure. Here's my issue with it. In 2019, when the USGA changed a bunch of their rules, they did it mostly to speed up play, um, which I think is is somewhat ridiculous because people who who are competing, um, those are the people that the rules should be for, not not for random golf bros out there, you know, Bro. playing golf with their buddies and, and thinking that they're the rules are causing them to play slowly. I think the white claws are what causes them to play slowly, but that's oh, a- I got, I got, I got a bro story later. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I guarantee you that when they were sitting around the campfire in Far Hills, that that they decided that, you know, we're going to let people fix spike marks and heel prints, but we're not going to let people fix aeration holes because they'll be out there all day long. So in the spirit of of quick play, 
um, we're not going to let them fix aeration holes, which to me is just brutal that you should have a, have an event like a USGA qualifier on a place where there's freshly punched holes and, and not make a local rule to have these guys um, be able to get relief from the, from the aeration holes, I think is just absolutely a swing and a miss. Brendan Elliott, three long-time golf industry people here. Did any of us pass that rules test? Not that one. I I didn't Fail. know that. Epic fail. <laughs> so I knew I knew that you could, with the new rules change, that you could fix spike marks. You could obviously fix uh, any damage made by the ball as it comes into the green. And I'm just looking at it here. You can even fix an old hole plug. Mm-hmm. So that right there, which is, which is not something caused by the player, that's something caused minute. by the superintendent. Seriously? Yeah, I just yeah. read it, and I, that makes it even more absurd. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, but kudos, like you said, Alan. Kudos to this kid for looking this up, having the wherewithal to look that look this up, and then after a career round or course record, at least. I don't even know if it was a career round. Disqualifying himself. I mean, that's that's in the spirit of the game. This rule, I don't know if that's in the spirit of the game. Because it's funny, you, you're funny you jumped ahead on me because I was going to ask the question. So if you're digging and fixing an irrigation trench that's got an open hole out there and the superintendent marks it because it's, it's, a, it's a construction or maintenance-made thing and it's identified as as relief, or in this case, the raised cup relief. What the f is the difference between that and an aerification mark? And if we're going to extrapolate and take that, this goes back to our longtime conversation about divots. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a this is a swing in the miss, Andy, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's terrible. And and look, like it's bad that it's not. A, a rule that allows you to fix aeration holes, number one. Number two, how is that not a local rule that's that's announced because of the, right. the the conditions of the golf course, you know, can't really be played as it would if the greens were in normal condition, right? Absolutely. So why not make it a, a, a local rule? Because the USGA hates to make local rules. They hate to make concessions for things. Um, number one and number two, if you don't make it a local rule and I don't know the details here, but how does that not be the first thing said on the first tee by the starter? Exactly. Hey guys, there's aeration holes out there. You're not allowed to fix them. Um, I, and I, I, and we were, before I hit record, I, I was saying this is here in the Northeast, brutally cold in March and April, Right. So much rain. It's insane. Crazy. I don't know where the, this qualifier took place. I don't have it up here in front of me. But we punched April 3, 4, and 5. There is still impressions. The greens are rolling great, by the way, at Eagle Ridge. So, Andy, bring your clubs next time you're in Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't feel right having a U.S. Open local qualifier right now. Uh, why are they putting it on a course? If they, I mean – Think this through, folks. But, but what if they're in an area, like you said, that that happens? Look, we all know that that 
certain parts of the country, you have a window in which you you do that maintenance on your greens, right? right. Yep. It happens to be U.S. Open qualifying time in a lot of cases. So there's not a whole lot you can do unless the, the venue decides to hold off until after the qualifier. So it, I think it's a necessary evil, um, but it in in this case is completely mishandled. Yeah, and I was going to say, Brendan, final thoughts on it. Well, for those listeners that don't fully understand what airification is all about, as Andy said, it is something that needs to, for the health of the greens, it's something that's a necessity. You have to do it. And and like you said, here in Florida, we can schedule around things with our with our maintenance schedule versus our tournament schedule, but you don't have that luxury in some parts of the country. So. Absolutely, that should have been something that was addressed beforehand, and the committee can always make it a local rule, as Andy was saying. That's always the op- always an option. Without without question, and here's the th- here's the thing, and this is one of those. This is one of those. I'm going to make that comment where it's going to sound like participation trophy, which I'm completely against, but. Here's a situation where this kid almost deserves to get a special exemption through to sectionals. Yeah. Yeah. He Except proved, how do you do he, that? He pro- he's proven he has the merit to play at that level, or at least at least get to that to the next level. Yeah, so, I, I hear where you're going and and I agree with your sentiment, but in reality, you just can't do it. It's because I'm a sentimental guy, Andy. You are. We all know that. <laughs> yes, this is true. <laughs> I'm emotional. You know who else is emotional? Rory. Yeah, yes. Wow, that is a first-class segue right there. My goodness. <laughs> that goes in the Segway Hall of Fame. <laughs> Segway Hall of Fame right there. All right, we got to talk we got to talk about this. This is I think this is legit. I think Rory has got I think Rory is stressed. He's been on, he's been the poster child. He's been the, let's face it. Rory was never the guy. It was, it is, it is, and still is Tiger, right? In the absence, I remember that line from, I believe it's uh, American president, in the absence of leadership, people listen to whoever's talking, right? So Tiger's not, Tiger's not there. So Rory ended up being the guy that had to step in. Rory had to be the one to talk. And he's been at the forefront. And then he's got the pressure of Augusta. And then he takes off. Then he gets fined. Then he gets attacked by his fellow players because he took off because he was we needed a mental break. And now he just took off another one. So, Brendan, thoughts? You know, I think we can all agree, hopefully, that we want the best for Rory. He's he's a fan favorite, um, but it's it's difficult to see what he's going through. Um, I'm, I'm looking through here. I'll admit that I didn't watch last week, so I'm looking here. I know did he miss the cut, right? No, he made the cut, but he didn't make the cut. T forty seven or something like that. Okay, I mean it's it's a shame that he. And he's working with one of the best in the game. Dr. Bob Rotella is one of one of the best mental coaches in the game. I thought when we made the predictions for the 
for the Masters this year, I was one of those dum dums that thought he was going to get it done. Um, and it's just you're a, not a dum dum. I mean, everybody <laughs> thought he was going to get it done. Yeah, I mean, everybody was rooting for, him, but I won. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you won the dark horse pool, Alan. Come on. This shows how difficult golf is. If one of the top three players in the world and a future Hall of Famer has a monkey on his back like this, this just shows you how difficult and how much of a mental game golf really is. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more with that. And and look, Rory is my guy. He's my favorite golfer. I love him in front of a microphone. I love him on the golf course. I mean, he's just, he's just like... He the, he, the he is he is 110% Andy a treat to have because you know what he calls it like he sees it yep and, and, he, and he, he but he thinks things through when he speaks yes. too yep well but he because I think he obviously understands his place in the history of the game yes which is what puts him in that rare air of a TW um and some others obviously but TW is probably his closest contemporary of the, in that you know realm. But does sure. he does he find a way? I mean, he's he's Rory McIlroy. He's going to find a way to to start he playing will. again. But what's it going to take? Hey, look, I I think over the years, every great player, including Jack, remember Jack when he won two majors in nineteen eighty. You know it. We're going back, and I'm taking Boston Bob's historical perspective here. But <laughs> you know, prior to to you know Jack winning his majors, he was in a major slump, and he won he won the uh, no at Baltusrol, <laughs> and then he won the PGA at Oak Hill that year. But um, yeah, he was in a major slump, and so it happens, right? And and I think Rory. Rory is no different than the other guys and and um he slumps but he's such a great player and he comes back and he and he performs so yeah he'll be fine yeah <clears throat> well i want to jump to the question of will he be fine at in rochester next week but i want to finish up one other thought about you know charlotte Wyndham clark was he? I mean, he's been knocking on the door for for some time now, and I've been waiting. I've been waiting all weekend so to to throw this one out. A very rare statistic. Were you aware of this one, Mister Hyde? <laughs> it is rarer on the PGA Tour to hit eighteen out of eighteen greens in regulation than it is for a player to make a hole in one. God, I love that stat. That's amazing, right? That's totally amazing. And and Clark literally came to 18, and half the ball was on the fringe, half the ball was on the green, and that does not count. Yes, it does count. Statistically, doesn't count. You're on the green. Sorry to ruin your point here, Alan. (laughs) They didn't count it. They didn't. They didn't count it. No. No, it was like it was it was like an inch onto the fringe, and they said no, it's on the fringe. Well, if it's an inch onto the fringe, then it's not touching the putting green. But it was—I thought a little bit of what was touching the putting green. 
The bottom line is he came to the 18th hole yes. in rare error. That is that is the bottom line. <laughs> and again, I'll I'll reemphasize that I love that stat. Thank you for sharing that because I think I too that. many too many better amateur players get wrapped up in they should be hitting every green in regulation. And the tour average is like 12. Like, uh, and the best guys on tour are only hitting what, like 70%? Yep. I've never hit 17. I've hit 16. Um, maybe once I hit 17, but yeah, never have I hit 18. And I have a couple hole in ones. I haven't had one in about 35 years, but I have a couple <laughs> of those. <laughs> And then hitting a green sometimes is overrated. I'll be honest with you, because you could it, proximity to the hole is probably what's more important. I don't know how many times Andy, you're a stick that you've missed a green on the right side closer to the pin than having a fifty foot putt. A fifty foot putt to me is far more difficult than than a chip shot, Town except it. for Allen. Except for Allen. Town it. So one one of the things I do after every round of golf I play is, is I rate every shot that I hit and then I do it separately for putting. I give myself a zero for a, a total miss, like a poor execution. I give myself a one for something that's, that's acceptable. Okay. And then I give myself two points for something that's like well-struck and to your point, Brendan, those can be missed greens. They yeah. can be missed fairways. But if you hit the shot the right way and kind of where you wanted it to go. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. A, a, a green in regulation isn't always the indicator so, of a good shot. So yeah. I have a really simple breakdown for son number one when he was learning to play golf a little bit more when he decided that the hockey skates were not going to you know, carry him to stardom. Um, he said, well, how do I score better? I said, here you go. Brendan, to your point, if you hit 12 greens out of regulation and you just two put all those, actually, correction, tour average, I think is 25% birdie conversion. Is that about right? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. So you, so 25%, you just made four birdies, right? So you're four under through those 12. And then if you have the other six, an up and down conversion, let's say it's 50%. So you're making par on those three holes. And now you just got to minimize the damage on the other three holes. Theoretically, Mr. Golfer, even a poor one with no backswing and a short putting, a bad semi-decent butter. <laughs> if it's so facto, boom, I just shot 75. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Game's easy. Yeah, it's this stat tracking is very important to improvement, but understanding your statistics and where you need to focus on is what's more important. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And then, you know, you can, you can, I wish I had it in front of me, but people are passing around on social media, Tiger's five stats that he, keeps right um no double bogeys no bogeys on par fives no three putts i forget i forget what they all are but but they're those things alan that you're talking about that are the 
you're going to get out there, you're going to hit a bunch of bad shots, but there's cardinal rules and you can't can't commit those cardinal sins, if you will, right? And by the way, um, my new math, 25% of 12 is not four. Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, God, it's been a long day. We're golfers back in the Northeast. Uh, okay, so... Uh, uh, and you know who where golf is? Golf's in Washington D.C. Big day today. We're recording on Wednesday. You know what today is, Brennan? National Golf Day. National Golf Day. It is when golf course owners from across the country, our good friend Jay Karen from the National Golf uh, Course Owners Association, and a whole host of other dignitaries make their way to Washington, and we try to lobby the people in Washington to make them aware of all the benefits that golf brings from water conservation, pristine open air green grass, and a healthy recreation. Because did you know, Andy Heidler, that golfers live five to seven years longer than non-golfers? I did not, but I'm very happy to hear that. I've, I've got a lot of statistics. I just can't do math. <laughs> that means I got to start playing again. Come that on, but it doesn't say how much of a golfer. It just says right. golf statistically. So if you, wear, if you wear a golf hat, that'll get you a couple of extra days. That's a cool golf hat you have on, folks. If you can't see it, he's got a cool Augusta hat on right now. I'm yes, like, he does. Absolutely. And uh, you know, I also have some cool uh, merch. Live golf. Oh, do they? <laughs> they do. If you go on to live golf, I'm attempted because I was going to play a little humor on on you. <laughs> I was going to buy a live golf hat, <laughs> and I was going to come on air on our next Zoom, and boom, there it is. You're going to spend thirty dollars to throw a dart at me? <laughs> no, not at all. I just wanted to get humor. It's all about good time. <laughs> just wait six months. That hat will be like half off. Yeah, exactly. I just like to have fun. Just having a good time. Um, you know who's not having a good time? Lee Westwood. Yes, he is not having a good time. <laughs> Semi-decent segue, gentlemen. Yes. Semi-decent. Lee Westwood's not happy. Lee Westwood basically torched the DP World Tour uh, as becoming a feeder to the PGA Tour after, while he is resigning his membership from it. And this is kind of elongated because Lee was on a roll, but I got to read a couple of these. This Let's see here. I've been a dual member of the European Tour and the PGA Tour, but always said I was a European Tour member first and foremost, and that I had fears that the U.S. circuit basically being bullies and doing everything it could to secure global dominance. Check my old quotes. It's all there. But now, in my opinion, the European Tour has jumped fully in bed with the PGA Tour and even Keith Pelly, the executive director, says he hates to hear, but now a feeder tour for the PGA Tour. The top 10 players on the tour, not already exempt this year, have a pathway to the PGA Tour, and that's giving our talent away. That was never the tour's policy before the strategic alliance. Sorry, I don't want to play under that sort of regime. I molded over, and I just didn't like the thought of the tour continuously hitting us with more fines and bans and would have been hanging over me. I paid my fine out of respect of the arbitration, arbitration panel 
and of taking decisions on the tour's hands. Honestly, I want to move on. Andy? You know, I, I kind of, I see where his angst comes from. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's not it's not a an informal relationship that the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour have. It's a formal relationship. Right. They they've established that, um, and I get it. If if Lee Westwood, who is a DP World, you know, European Tour member for years and years and years, if he has an issue with that, I totally understand it. I totally understand it, and and I think. For a long time, there was always that healthy kind of competitive attitude between the tours. Um, and, you know, it is what it is. It's evolved in in the manner that it's evolved. But I can see both sides of this. I really can. B.E.? Well, you know, every time a story pops up, which is quite frequently with these guys that <laughs> went over to to live, um, I, I mean, I just go quietly, you know, just, you made the, your decision. You, you took the money over continuing a legacy and not take, not, I'm not taking anything away from some of these guys. Lee Westwood had a tremendous career. I think he has what, 25 wins in his career and, yep. and he won the order of merit. Like, I don't know exactly, but maybe half a dozen times. And he was really showing a lot of form, you know, late into his forties. So, but he made that decision. So if you're bitter about anything that's happening with the, with the DP world tour, the PGA tour, and you're don't no longer playing on those tours, just go do your thing and be quiet. I agree. And let me, I guess I've, I've been saying this for some time now, and I don't know who heads up that mantle, but I do think that the world is smaller today. And I do believe that there should be one ATP tennis type tour on a global scope for golf. And you could have satellite tours. But I'd like to see all the world. I mean, we saw it. We got a glimpse of what it, what, how, much, how cool golf is when all the live guys were at Augusta. Yeah. And wouldn't we like to see, we, we, the golf fans, are robbed of that? Or is it nice to have that those guys in their backyard playing for a lot of money in Perry? I don't know. What's the answer? I don't know. It seems to me like, like the way they had it was pretty good, right? So yeah. they could have dual membership. They could play you know, the DP for European events and play the PGA Tour events and, and have enough bandwidth to be able to accomplish both of those things. But you throw live into the mix and all of a sudden that's another thing, another another thing that, you, that you're kind of beholden to that now all of a sudden you can't fit three things in and it, it just makes it, really difficult right and and to your point brennan you made that choice right you did that's what you did you made that choice and yep. and uh at the end of the day 
Well, I know, I know that I know the that Liv is basically, I guess, now in bed with the Asian tour, but you still have the Asian tour class B, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, now you, yeah. So now it's further diluting the uh, the talent level. It's like it's it's when the it's when they talk about bringing another major league baseball team in or another ho hockey team in, you know, it's a hockey because I can speak more intelligently about that. You know, Connor McDavid darts and weaves between bigger pylons or more pylons, right? Because uh, well, you you guys you guys are well versed in in professional football, NFL. I and I and I don't follow that very often. So when you have your sidebars about that, I'm really out in left field. But I'm there with you, B. I'm not gonna lie. To but you. here's the thing: like, I know, I know, Dwayne Johnson just started a new league, and then there's another league that just started. Those leagues seem to know their role in professional football, and they're not trying to fight with the NFL for for bragging rights or anything. They just kind of it's another opportunity for golfers or golfers for football players to showcase their talents, and that's kind of what I see. Live is I have. Like I said before, I have no problem with these guys making the decisions that they made. It's more of the bitching and complaining about how they were wronged. But if Liv had never come along, these guys wouldn't be complaining about these wrongdoings that supposedly happened when they were members of the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour. Right, but does does Lee Westwood have a bitch that, that the top 10 you know, earners on the DP World Tour have the opportunity to be PGA tour members. Does, because, does he have a bitch about that? No, no, because he guess what? He would be one. <laughs> I mean, right? Could be. Yeah. Could be. He, he but would, but would. but I think he's defending the DP World Tour as an entity in and of itself and saying that so our 10 best players are all just going to not be dual members, but they're all just going to go over there and play that tour. So now we're absent our 10 best players. Cause I think that's kind of what he's saying. If So, so let me, let me ask this. So a lot of times we see guys that only go over to DP and play in three or four events and play well, because they're some of the top guys on the PGA tour. They're up near the top. They're Patrick in. Main... Reed's, Patrick Reed's notorious for doing that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, but there's been guys that have won the order of merit over there, I believe. And finished high on the PGA Tour. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. The, like think, people who yeah. are not even close to playing full schedules. B, I mean, B. I think you said it well, which is, you know, you look at like the USFL, um, the re latest reincarnation of that XF, uh, all these different things. It's like stay in your lane, bro. They know they're they know their lane. They know they know what they are. I have a son that right. works in professional sport or professional sports minor league professional sports the, and i lived in a town that had a minor league professional sports teams i.e the hershey bears great 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 fan base there but the ones that became fan legend or legendary within the teams are only those guys that never made it into the nhl yeah because they stayed there they got right. to that level and that's where they camped out and they had a great career and they became familiar with the fans and the Fans familiar with them. If they were Alexander Ovechkin, which he was never in Hershey, but if he was, he would already been into the to the Washington Capitals. And and 
should you be restricting a guy to the DP tour when he can make it to play on the PGA tour? I don't think so. No, you shouldn't. No, that's the global part of the game. Yes, correct. And I, I do see both sides to it. Um, one guy who's not maybe seeing both sides, sticking with our extended live report, Taylor Gooch. Andy, you got Taylor. You got Taylor on the mind. Yeah, I do. Um, and, and of course, Phil is part of this story too. Um, for those of you that haven't heard, Taylor Gooch um, qualified for the U.S. Open, qualified for an exemption, I should say, for the U.S. Open by qualifying for the Tour Championship. And the USGA has rescinded his exemption, um, stating that he qualified for the Tour Championship in 2022, but he was not eligible. Therefore, his exemption status is invalid. Um, so, you know, I can, again, see both sides to this one. It's a little sticky, right? Um, Phil, if I can quote him correctly, told uh, the golf world that Mike Wan, who is the, the USGA executive director, pulled a dick move, I think was what his, uh, nice. his exact words were. Um, but it's funny, and I want to I want to take this just to a, a different level here, real quick, too, because if if you look at the top ten players on Liv's money list, and and the Liv guys love to talk about how you know we have the best tour, we have the best players, we have this and that. The top ten, I'm just going to read them off for you. Taylor Gooch is number one. Charles Howell's number two. Brooks Kepka, Peter Uline, Danny Lee, Sergio Garcia, Patrick Reed, Carlos Ortiz, Sebastian Munoz, and Pat Perez. Now that list of 10 people is littered with players that could not make it on the PGA okay. Tour. Okay. So just mm -hmm. to reiterate, that those that's the top 10 money leaders right now. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on it immediately because as you're reading, first thing went in my mind is none of them made anything. So they're still working hard, grinding, to try to make this money. And the DJs of the world, who's already got bank and got signing bank, he don't give a shit. Yep. Yeah. I have yep. questions about the top ten. How are they? Is it is it a combined money in, yeah. individual and team? Yep. It is. So that makes it even worse. I, I think it is. But, but I mean, like, look, no disrespect to Peter Uline. Peter Uline couldn't get a card on the PGA Tour and keep it. Right. He couldn't. I mean, Danny Lee, I mean, he did for a while. But, I mean, Charles Howell's career was kind of over the hill. It, Carlos Ortiz, Sebastian Munoz, you know, guys trying to make it. But, I mean... I don't know. I, I just I just find that whole, you know, positioning by the live people saying that that, you know, we have the best players in the world. Um, it's just so disingenuous. When, that, when that's your leaderboard. Yeah. Yeah. So, first of all, probably was a dick move on the U.S. Open. <laughs> yeah. 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 
but it happened. Oh well, move on, right, B? Just move on. <laughs> so. Well, when you look at when you look at the four majors and what the with the all the different qualifications are to get into them, things like this were bound to happen. I mean, Augusta's a little bit different on their qualifications. Um, so some of those live guys are always going to be able to play at Augusta. Um, but like a U.S. Open, that's not going to be the case. That's I, I mean, there isn't a lot of these lifetime exemptions. And then and then some of the exemptions are winning other majors. Those are only like five years, I believe. Right. Uh, so at some point. Things like this and we're talking Taylor Gooch, we're not talking about a, a Brooks Kepka or something, but eventually that could catch up to a guy like a Brooks Kepka, which is sad. I mean, just look back to the Masters this year. Seeing those guys play, playing I, and up at the top was great. I said in multiple shows, I believe Brooks, this would have been his last year of exemption at Augusta had he not finished as high as he did. I believe. Anyway, enough of live. I'm getting hives. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm going to throw a bonus one in. You guys didn't even have this. I want to. I want your take on, the, especially your. Well, both of you guys, uh, Andy, because of being a stick, and Be because of a teacher of young students. The golf world was introduced to Brazilian Bella Simos and I Simone's. Oh yes, I believe I can. I don't know if I said that correctly. Nine years old, teeing it up for the U.S. Women's Open where you have to have a handicap of 2.4. She apparently did. She shot, I think, um, like 81 or something like that in her qualifier. I think she even limped home in the second, a little bit higher in the second 18. B.E., Andy, too young? I Brandy, love it. This is your deal. I love it. I'm, I'm going to wait to see what Andy says, but. Okay, I, I love I love the story, but my fear is things that we've seen in the past with some of these young stars pushing the gas a little bit too soon because they're not mature enough. Are their games mature enough? Some of these kids prove that they can play at this level. But there's other important components to becoming that level of a golfer mental emotional different things like that it's not just all about shooting the numbers so while stories like this are awesome for golf um maybe maybe there should be some restrictions on age um because the worst thing that would happen is this young lady gets in plays well makes the cut becomes this big name and then that sabotages the rest of her career because she's too young and we've seen that play out with with several people. Yeah, I mean, I I'm with you, Brendan. I think it's it's great. I think it's it's awesome. This isn't really the first time. Maybe it's the youngest, but youngest. I ever. recall I recall Lucy Lee. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, was maybe eleven. Yep. Um, and then when she was interviewed after yeah, the, the ice cream girl, she wanted yep. ice cream. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So I, I think it's super cute and and it's awesome to see this. And and to be honest with you, it's an open, right? So so they have every right to do it if they if they qualify yep. under the handicap thing. They have every right to enter. 
if correct, if they qualify under the stipulations and the rules, which this could go even argue to Taylor Gooch, right? I know it's women's versus the men's, but he qualified. They let an outside factor. But Lucy Lee, 11 years old, she's now just now made the LPGA tour. Yep, she's on tour now. So, but we saw with Michelle Wee, she's a great example of yes. how unbelievable she was and then it just it was you know she still has her career in golf now but you know she never reached the full potential that she had and that was sad because she could have been fantastic major investor in sports box yes but yeah i i agree and and i think to your point where you were going brendan you know the uh, mismanagement of her career, you know, is a highly debatable thing, but I, I think it's it's pretty clear that that the way she was was kind of brought through her teens did not, at the end, do her any favors. Yeah, and that's the fear. If these kids are good enough to qualify under the current stipulation, then fantastic. I love it. Yeah. But it may long term, it may not be the best thing for for the kids, for the better players. All right, boys, I'm going to throw in one quick don't be that guy because I actually had multiples. If you are a golf bro and you go out there and you're at the course <laughs> and you wear the foot joy. You obviously don't wear those. Shirts. You don't wear the, <laughs> Yeah, you don't roll the sleeves up so you can suns out, guns out. <laughs> don't be that bro and if that's not enough for you I have found out that golf bro unicorns do exist you ask <laughs> why Brendan Elliott and I why went, because when I came out of the pub the other day golf bro scarfing on a dog pounding a tranny the drink Andy <laughs> Wearing a floral print, sporting the handlebar mustache, and a man bun. Bro. That's just the cherry on top. That's okay. just the unicorn of hashtag don't be that bro. <laughs> <laughs> but right. he's, spending, he's spending money in golf, though. God bless him. And he's spending money in my place. That's the most important part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can count that, Andy. I hope he so. doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> All right. I said it from the beginning, major announcement. It It's actually kind of sad in a way, Brendan, but I'm so excited about the future. Um, it's an end of an era at Golf Talk Live. What started 16 years ago on a, or a radio uh, station with Tony Leodora uh, here on a AM 990, and then, became, then from there, uh, I got involved. We continued the radio show for a few for some time before taking it to the digital space. And then uh, we've had a couple of couple people come in, a couple of people come out. But and then then and then bring in you guys. Love of the links, your podcast. We needed a new identity. In my opinion. So today marks the last show of Golf Talk Live. Because Andy Hydorn, we will be launching a new show with some uh, witty slash uh, edgy 
commentary that will also bring you some great interviews with people, the men and the women shaping the game. I don't think we're ever going to leave lose that component of Golf Talk Live. But Andy, quiet, please. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a great name. It's 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 so all about golf and it's all about you know really the the gutter, guttural feeling of the game so quiet please is who we are be you know i i want to thank you for having us come aboard with you guys um yes. just over oh, we've been over a year now so it's it's been fun and it, we've got a great great group of guys um from the prettiest podcaster all the way up to he's so pretty <laughs> to the rest of the game. I mean, this is the, and, th and this is another component of this, right? Be because I know that you and I really, especially, have talked about the need to get video, and there's in yep. video it's going to add so much. You're going to see the wittiness. You're going to see Andy Hydorn light leaning in and appreciate. Yeah, exactly. You're going to see what we see, folks. But when you look upon the beauty of Christian Nazamus, I mean, he's so pretty. Just bring your sunglasses. Our, our demo for the teenage girls is going to go way up. He's 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 oh, like a oh, he's like a heartthrob. We is, are we are, be we are going to be trending really strong in teenage girls and uh, and uh, somewhere in Wisconsin. Yeah. We might win that demographic. I think we might of all the podcasts out there. Mister Cadet Medium, Cadet Small, Cadet Small. Sorry. <laughs> So, folks, please follow us. You're going to continue to follow us right here on all the major podcast channels. Uh, I believe the way it's going to set up would be set up. And I may I may botch the tech portion of it, but uh, you should be able to find just by uh, a keystroke rolling right into the new show. Uh, you'll see us on social. You'll see us on YouTube. You'll see us everywhere you want to listen to your podcast channels. Quiet, please. Brought to you by Andy, Alan, Brendan, Bob, and the prettiest podcaster in golf, Christian. Andy, I yes, bid sir. you adieu. <laughs> <laughs> you only have one opportunity to sell your golf property. Shouldn't you partner with an expert that offers you 30-plus years of golf industry experience combined with the reach of a global leader in real estate? Collier's International Golf Brokerage and Advisory Services understands your unique business needs. Whether it is brokerage, management, and consulting, be reassured that the market leader in the business of golf is providing you the real answers and practical solutions you deserve. Contact Golf Talk Live co-host and Collier's Golf Advisory Services member, Alan DePew, today at 717-554-8519. That's 717-554-8519.